Welcome, legendary listeners. Thanks for tuning in to From the Vault, a second look at some of our classic episodes. Look for a new episode every week. Now, can you go back and listen on your own at OurNewEnglandLegends.com? You bet. But you won't get the added bonus of an After the Legend segment featuring new commentary about that episode from your old pals Jeff and Ray. So let's open up the New England Legends Vault and revisit another legendary episode. And we're back with another edition of From the Vault. Where we go and re-explore some of the classic episodes and take another look and a deeper dive. Uh, This one first aired March 8th, 2018. Block Island's burning ghost ship. Enjoy. Standing by the ocean at night is an entirely different experience, isn't it? It is. Same smell, same sounds. You see the glowing white foam as the waves break on the shore. But beyond that, it's like a sea of black ink. Rafe, the reason we're here at night on the northern shore of Block Island, just off the coast of Rhode Island, is because we're scanning that inky black darkness in search of a burning ghost ship. Hey, I'm Jeff Belanger. And I'm Ray Ozier. And welcome to episode 29 of the New England Legends podcast. If you give us a few minutes, we'll give you something strange to talk about today. I've heard tales of phantom ships before, Jeff. I guess the Flying Dutchman off the coast of South Africa would be the most famous. The ocean is home to countless legends like that. I love the Flying Dutchman legend. The story goes back to at least the 18th century. It's a tattered, ghostly ship that can never make port. They say if your vessel is hailed by the Flying Dutchman... They may ask you to carry some mail or messages to shore. And if you accept the parcels, you and your ship are doomed. Even spotting the Flying Dutchman is said to be a bad omen. Oh, please tell me that the Flying Dutchman has been spotted by Block Island. No, it hasn't. I'm just making the point that sailors have been a superstitious bunch for centuries. Okay, I get that. So what's the story here on Block Island? While the Flying Dutchman's origins are vague, this story on Block Island is based on some hard, horrible facts. All right, let's set this up. Okay, our story begins in Rotterdam, Holland, in August of 1738. The 220-ton British ship Princess Augusta, with Captain George Long at the helm, is ferrying 340 German immigrants from the Palatinate region of Germany to Philadelphia. But this voyage seemed doomed from the start. The first problem the Princess Augusta faced was their water. What do you mean? Well, the water supply was contaminated, and soon passengers and crew started getting sick with what they described as fever and flux. Was it serious? Deadly serious. In the coming weeks of travel, 200 passengers died from illness and half the crew, including Captain George Long. If that wasn't bad enough, the next adversary came from the sea and skies. With Captain Long dead, first mate Andrew Brooke takes command of the ship, just as the weather turns on him. For the next few months, storms and gale winds push the Princess Augusta north, far off course of Philadelphia. The headwind forces the ship to crawl westward at a snail's pace. And then, another problem. Food? Food. Supplies are running out. First mate, now Captain Andrew Brooke, forced his remaining passengers to pay for the few rations they had left, meaning only the wealthiest could potentially survive. That's horrible. It is a desperate act to line his pockets and poor leadership. But the morning after Christmas of 1738, luck seemed to finally be turning for the Princess Augusta. The seas were calm as she sat anchored just 12 miles off the New England coast. Captain Brooke ordered the sails set, and they steered for Long Island Sound between Block Island and Long Island, New York. The passengers and crew had hope for the first time in months that they would soon make a port, but the sea wasn't through with them yet. Shortly after they set off for the day, a storm moved in. 
The seas swelled. The winds raged once more, this time from the north-northwest. And then came the snow squalls, lowering visibility to only a few hundred feet. The Princess Augusta fought the storm which battered and bruised the ship. Under the strain, her hull sprung a leak and began to take on water. The mizzenmast was ordered cut down because the crew feared the ship was ready to break in half from the pounding. If not for bad luck, this ship and her passengers and crew would have no luck at all. But suddenly, the crew spots a turning light beacon up ahead. They'll find out soon that this is Block Island. Knowing they're in trouble, they make for the beacon and the salvation that only land can offer. Now, Ray, let me ask you a question. Think about every lighthouse you've ever seen in your life. Where are the beacons placed? Well, I've only ever seen a lighthouse placed on a rock in the water or right at the edge of the shore. Exactly, because that's where they have to be placed. This light, far in front of the Princess Augusta, let them know that land was still a fair distance away. If they make for the light, they should be able to come around and find a place to set the ship. But then... But then the Princess Augusta runs aground. Her hull breaches, and she's wrecked in the shallow waters just off the coast of the northern shore, a place they call Sandy Point on Block Island. But then a curious thing happens. That light in the distance ahead, it goes out. It goes out? Poof. Gone. Why would a lighthouse shut down during a storm? Because it wasn't a lighthouse. It was a horrible trick. All right, I don't understand this. Once the ship was run aground, Andrew Brooke lowers the rowboat with he and his crew, then rows to shore, leaving all the passengers on board by themselves. The following day, more rowboats come and take the passengers to shore, while other locals take their own boats out and salvage whatever they can find in the ship. But one female passenger refuses to leave her belongings on the ship, and she stays behind. So what about that light they saw on shore? The story goes there were some bad people on Block Island who intentionally set that beacon far inland as a way to lure a ship too close to the shore where it would wreck. Once it wrecked, they could take small boats out to the ship and turn their salvage into profits. That's despicable. Once the locals had salvaged what they could, the Princess Augusta was ordered to be set adrift and burned. That female passenger who refused to leave, she stayed. People on shore could hear her screams as the vessel burned and sunk below. Wow, that's really haunting. It is. But there's another version of the story. For help, let's make a phone call. Is that really his phone number? My name's Dr. Michael Bell. I'm a folklorist living in Rhode Island sometimes and other times in Texas. We asked Dr. Bell what happened once the Princess Augusta was wrecked. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about the deposition uh, that was found in the Rhode Island Historical Society archives uh, around 1925, and that had been missing for a long time. Depositions were taken from passengers and crew after the incident as to what happened. Dr. Bell speaks with Block Island historian Fred Benson, who explains that the Princess Augusta's first mate turned captain is not a good guy. Turns out Andrew Brooke had good reason not to want his passengers to go ashore. The trunks of the people, the Palatinites, were being looted. Well, he didn't want that revealed. And they were wrecked off Block Island and they were on a cable. And the people were imploring him to cut the cable, let them go, you know, ashore to save them. And he finally relented and the Block Islanders saved uh, many of the people on board. That's the, basically, that's the historically, supposedly accurate story of what happened. 
The ship was then scuttled, possibly burned, so the wreckage wouldn't create future navigational problems. And there's no record of any woman burning with the ship. But still, I wonder, how do we get the other version of this story? So Dr. Bell explained how in 1867, now this is 129 years after the fact, John Greenleaf Whittier writes this poem called The Wreck of the Palatine, which is what most people called the Princess Augusta once the story had passed into legend. Got it. Most people incorrectly call the Princess Augusta the Palatine. Exactly. So this poem is based on a story Whittier had heard about people who would set up false lights to lure ships to their doom in order to loot them. You have to remember, if a ship wrecked back then, it's your right to salvage the remains. Unless, of course, you wrecked the ship with the intent of looting. So if this was the case of bad luck and the block islanders helped and didn't loot, how did the Palatine light story happen? Well, John Greenleaf Whittier wrote a poem called The Wreck of the Palatine. Yeah, he had received a letter in the late 1860s from a man named John Hazard. And John Hazard told him that story about the Block Islanders setting up a false light to lure the ship ashore so that they could plunder it. And Whittier had experimented with a, a, a ghost ship poem earlier, like in the 1830s, and it didn't work out. And he thought, well, this is a good way to get back to it. So he wrote the, the Wreck of the Palatine using that, that version, that it was the Block Islanders who were really the ones responsible for the wreck and for the plundering uh, of the goods on the ship. Here's a few lines from John Greenleaf Whittier's poem. Down swooped the wreckers like birds of prey, tearing the heart of the ship away, and the dead had never a word to say. And then, with ghastly shimmer and shine, over the rocks and the seething brine, they burn the wreck of the Palatine. Well done, Ray. I like that. <laughs> so Whittier's poem gets popular. The depositions of the actual passengers and crew from 1738 are missing. And this poem version turns into the real story. Who would actually do something like this? Setting up a false light to lure ships? As Dr. Bell explained, that story in practice had gone on for a long time. So, for example, have you ever heard of Nags Head? Sure, a pretty coastal town in North Carolina. The story goes it got its name because nefarious locals used to take a horse, a nag, and place a lantern around its neck and walk them in circles near the shore to look like a lighthouse in order to lure in ships to their doom where they could then be plundered. And I collected a story like that in the early 1980s from an older man on Block Island who said that when he was a child, which would have been in the early uh, 20th century, people would sometimes put a lantern around the neck of a mule and lead it in a circle around a haystack, you know, the turning light of a lighthouse, in order to lure coal barges ashore. And then they would go down and collect the coal. He said when he was a kid, he would go down and collect it. They'd have enough to last the whole winter to heat the house and even sell some. That is cold-blooded, risking people's lives to plunder. So you have this sinister practice of setting a false light that was done all along the coast. You have the real shipwreck of the Princess Augusta, or the Palatine, if you prefer that name. And now we have a burning ghost ship that's most often spotted during the anniversary of the wreck, shortly after Christmas each year. The crazy thing is, something haunts these waters. Even in modern times, people will spot the glow of a burning ghost ship on these waters. They call it the Palatine Light. Man, standing out here in the dark right now, that definitely gives me chills. I usually think of Block Island as this New England paradise that welcomes tourists. But because of Whittier's poem, 
There's a tiny bit of dark stain here. I think the poem cemented the version of the, the Black Islanders as plunderers. People on Black Island are not really fond of John Greenleaf with here. <laughs> Be sure to check out our website at OurNewEnglandLegends.com, where you can listen to all of our past episodes for free. You can see images related to these stories and post comments and feedback. We love hearing from you guys. And there's also our Facebook group, also called New England Legends. Join us. And if you're not already a subscriber to our weekly podcast, it's free. Do it so you never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And do us a favor and post a review on iTunes. It's a big way that you can help us spread the word. Until next time, remember, the bizarre is closer than you think. All right, that brings us to After the Legend, where we explore a little deeper into this week's story or this past story. And it's brought to you by this sponsor. This might have been the first episode that we had a guest. Oh, yeah? Oh, a guest. Yeah, Michael yeah, yeah, yeah. Bell, yeah, the folklorist. On the phone, no right. less. I mean, you could tell he was on the phone. But we've gotten better. Like, <laughs> Did we you can... hear my reaction when you dialed? Yeah. I'm like, is that real? <laughs> is that really his number? <laughs> is that really his was so funny. I laughed out loud when I heard that. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while. Because it's so us. Right. Yeah, we've we've done the dot ringtone, I think, a couple of times, the, uh, the funny, <laughs> funny songs. There's a website that, shows you what songs you can play with a regular touchtone phone and where would you find a regular touchtone phone these days oh, i still have one in my office <laughs> uh, oh i guess we have some at work too yeah it doesn't doesn't use it much but yeah there's there's various songs you can play um the the what the heck were they called the three stooges dun, oh yeah dun, 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 dun. Oh, there you i go. forget dixie right whistling whatever there's, that dixie there's a few thing. there's a few jingle bells I yeah you can that's play. a big one but yeah so michael joined us uh, by phone thankfully, and um, uh, known him for a number of years, wrote the book Food for the Dead, great resource uh, on New England vampires, mm. speaking of oh, our we, most we recent about that. episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, this this story is awful. Yeah, well, any shipwreck story is, but yeah, this one was, was tough, I, especially when, I, I mean, you kind of expect it with sailors mm-hmm. and pirates, right. you know, because they're living a life of risk and danger. But when there's just common folk traveling, yeah, that's the tough part. Yeah, right. Yeah, you're not some some crew that knows you're taking these risks to right. get this cargo, and you're being well compensated for that. Like you're just you're you're passengers, and these monsters on Block Island mm. that that intentionally wrecked the ship. Yeah, by putting up a false light. I mean, and and by the way, they weren't the first nor the last to do this. This is a thing around the world mm. because the rules of the sea is salvages anybody's. So you you wreck these ships, you risk people's lives and cargo and money and, uh, you know, for what? But the other side of the story is that there was a lot of heroism, a lot of good neighbors, mm. right? That I think um, we don't focus on that part enough where there were people. But we that, love talking about the tragedies, but there's an, a whole other side to most right. of these tragedies. Uh, Mr. Rogers. Remember, he would. There's a great quote attributed to him. I'm paraphrasing it, but yeah. it was something like his mother told him, "Whenever there's something bad happening, whenever there's tr- real trouble, look for the people that go running in." Yes, yeah. Those I've are the that. those are the good people. Those are the helpers, mm. and there will always be helpers. There will be pe- there are people that run from danger, and there are people that run to danger. Not necessarily first responders, them mm. too, of course, but sometimes regular folks that are like someone might need help. Oh, I'm run toward. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've instinctively. Had the urge. I don't think I've ever had to. Yeah. Um, there was an accident once and uh, they pulled the guy out of the car and he was on the front lawn of a, of a home. Mm-hmm. And I did pull over and run to help where I could have just kept driving. Right. A guy ended up dying. It was, oh my goodness. It was a weird situation. Yeah. That, but that's it. But I, but you know, when you sense danger, yeah, it's almost like that spidey sense. Sure. I do feel like I would be pulled to that situation. Yeah. Who well, knows I, till it happens, obviously. Now, if the first responders are already there, well, sure. no, I stay out yeah. of the way, right? They don't need, they don't need other hands in the way, right. but if nobody's there, yep. absolutely. You yeah. know, then you see what you can do to help. Um, and then you wait for the first responders and you get out of the way. Yeah. Um, but that's, yeah, for sure. But I mean, even little things like I remember, um, my daughter, Sophie, she was really young. She's probably like five or six. And we were walking out of like, I think it was like a Walmart parking lot or mm-hmm. something. And some young woman, maybe 19 or 20 was dealing with a flat tire mm. and she had the fix a flat stuff, but like she w- didn't, wasn't getting out. And so I, like we walked by and I just stopped and Sophie looked at me and she's like, are we going to go help? <laughs> like, yep, we are. Because you know what? That's someone, Sophie. Yeah. And we're going to turn around and we're going to go back and help and we're going to get her tire, you know, fixed and get her on her way. And so we did. And so we went over and introduced ourselves and, you know, but then that's not that's like nice. she wasn't in life or limb danger. It was just, sure, sure. But I'm like, I would want someone to help my daughter. Sometimes you're in a rush, you know, sometimes no, I, get you it. I, I pulled up next to a guy who's, uh, and I just couldn't stop because I was already pulling up, but I noticed that his hood was up Yeah, and I'm like, Oh no, I'm going to get stuck helping this guy. And I did ask him if he needed a jump, but he had something more serious going on. Oh, so right. I did ask, but I, at, my, at first I'm like, I just stopped here for like milk and now I'm going to be here for an hour. Um, but luckily I got out of there. Isn't that a guy thing? Like I could see you and I would be the same, by the way, I'm not making fun of you. Like the hood's open. So you walk up and you look down at the engine, like you will see what's wrong. Oh, sure. Let me take a look. Oh, there's your problem right over here. You got to just put this wire on that. Right. And you're yeah. like, I don't know. Clink, clink, clink. Yeah. How's like, that? Now try it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me tap on this thing. Yeah. But you look thinking like something's going to jump out and you'd be like, I see the problem. Well, when the TV didn't work back in the day, you, you hit it, right? That's just because we think we have the Fonzie touch. Because that works once in a while. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Once it's in a blue moon, like, a little bit. Whatever was loose in there is now connected. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's the thing. But you go to, you try to help, you help if you can, yeah. I think. And so the Palatine Light, that's what locals on Block Island did. So mm. there was the story of the horrible people that wrecked the ship and looted it. But there's the story of the people that said, whoa, it's December. It's frigid. Uh, these folks need shelter and food. And you, you just took who you could into yep. your home. You know, so your neighbor would take some others and, and you yeah. just took people in. And I think that's good the part neighbors. of the story that, yeah, doesn't get told enough. And there's always good neighbors out there. There's people that do this every day instinctually. instinctually. They don't put it on social media. Because it's just the right thing. Because that could be you. We like talking about the negative in radio. We tr- or at my FM, we try to focus on good news. And mm-hmm. you're gonna ha- you have to talk about the bad news, of course. But we try to um, uh, overshadow all that with the good news. Yeah. But you know what? It's really hard getting good news from people. I, I every day I ask if you have good news in your neighborhood, your family, yeah. your workplace. Let me know so that I can get it out there. I never get anything. I got to go find it myself. It's so weird. Yeah. Well, and I, it, think about it too. If you're on like a a town group page mm-hmm. and somebody posts like, uh, "Oh, so uh, the, the the garbage men dumped my my garbage all over the place, didn't pick it up." You're going to get 750 comments. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you say, "Well, my kid had a, a lemonade stand. He donated all the money to charity." Two comments. Yeah. Three right. likes. People don't gravitate towards good news. Social media, uh, I mean, it's it's proven time and again uh, that negative stuff gets way more traction than positive yeah. stuff. 
it just does. People want to rant. People want to complain about stuff, post horrible things. The good, the good news doesn't, doesn't get the traction that it, mm. that it deserves. And I think sometimes part of it is just like, I think we, um, we feel like we'd be bragging. So like if I were to call the station and be like, Hey Ray, like, you know, my sister just got a new job, mm. which is exactly the kind of thing you're looking for, right? Sure, Something just uplifting, like, Oh, isn't that great? Someone out there was out of work and found work. And now that's awesome. Cause we can all relate to that. Um, but I'd be like, oh, I don't, don't want to brag. I don't want, well, not even brag, but I'm like, oh, that's not important enough. That's not like. And it is. And it is. And I'll tell you why, yeah. because it, it not so much for you, but it's going to inspire more good news. It's going to inspire a smile with someone else. Right. They'll take that and go smile at somebody else. Now they're in a good mood. Yeah. So that somebody else will be in a good mood that they cross paths with. So good news just, yeah. it, 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 you know, incites more good goodness and that's exactly the kind of story like okay hey uh got a cancer-free diagnosis for the first time that's great obviously huge news fantastic but there's a million little things uh every day i was listening to a podcast um i forget which one i've listened to a bunch right Mm. and and there was an author who had written a book about uh he kept a joy journal okay where every day he would just try to write down things that that made him smile like uh seeing a guy feeding a pigeon at a, yeah. in a park he was just like and then another pigeon came over and he had food for that pigeon too and he was just like it made me smile sure tiny tiny little itty bitty thing and he just kept a journal and then he found himself looking for joy mm. throughout the day well, that's where he's smart, like well yeah. if i'm gonna keep this journal i gotta find more joy than just a guy feeding a pigeon and then he's like oh look at someone you know uh some stranger dropped their purse and someone else helped pick it up yeah and he just started seeing good things everywhere he looked because that's what his radar was was getting attuned to. That's a great exercise. It, Look for the joy in in life. So, like, keep a joy journal, and you know. And so, in times of tragedy, Mister Rogers' mom is hundred percent correct. Yeah. There are going to be people that run into the danger and run in and help and offer, even if that help is like, I'm going to stand here in case you need something, mm. right? I'll be off to the side. And if you say, boy, we need water, I'm on my way. You yeah. know, I need a blanket. I need someone to walk this person safely over to that ambulance way over there. I got it. You right. know, like whatever you can do to help, it's just, you know, lightening someone's load by just a little bit. Mm. You know, they're not asking you to put the fire out. They're just asking you to, you know, at least empathize yeah. with the people that have been affected. And I think that's one of the things that happens when we see these horribly tragic stories. On the one hand, there is good that happens, right? I mean, um, after 9-11, remember how many people donated oh blood? Oh my gosh, yeah. Like out the door. I was the ready to join the military. Yeah, people at joined. 35 or however old I was, 30. Yep. Yeah, people, I was ready to go. People joining the military, people donating blood, people saying, you know, what, what charity can I give to? Yep. Like, can we start charities if they don't exist? How do we support victims? How do we support people that have been affected? Um, you start asking those questions and you start crafting solutions that make the world a better place. Yes. Would it have been better? And, and by the way, maybe nine 11 is, is a, is a, is an apt parallel in that those folks with the light on block Island mm. terrorists. Yeah. Right. I mean, yep. that is an act yeah, of absolutely. terrorism, you know, back, back in that day, they, they risked people's lives to yep. loot them. Yeah. Um, terrible. And so, but, but, but good came of it. Mm. And, um, of course now we've got better ship navigation and things like that, but, um, there's no limit to how horrible people can be, but I think there's no limit to how good people can be too. Yeah. If they're given the right opportunity. Agreed. So I love that you're looking for good news. Maybe we all got to start keeping joy journals. When we see these tragedies. We start looking for the good in them and be the positive in life. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Ray. <laughs> Thank you. 
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.